Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. I'm Arnie, and we are driving home from Star Wars Reads Day in Roseville, Minnesota. And so I hope you forgive us a little lack of audio fidelity this show, as there was no way to get back to the studio and still get the show out on time this week. So we are literally recording this episode from the road. Yeah, we're somewhere in northwestern Wisconsin right now. But we had a great time up in Minnesota. We will be talking about that later on this show. We will have a complete recap of events from the Star Wars Reads Day at the Barnes & Noble in Roseville. And then we will have Brock joining us to review the Essential Reader's Companion. But first, looking at Star Wars collecting in stores. Stores have been pretty dead of late. There really isn't a whole lot of reason to go to stores unless you are still looking for the Toys R Us exclusive speeder bike. Those have been showing up again. Unfortunately, no good buy one, get one half off sale. But if you need them, they are hitting stores more and more. I'm really thankful that you were able to pick that up online because our Toys R Us has been really spotty with getting the exclusives in, even new merchandise, and you just can't count on it anymore. They may get it in six months from now when it's too late. Well, it's never too late, and I imagine that as we get closer to the holidays, they will have more sales on this kind of stuff. I know that we recently had the buy one, get one 75% off coupon, and This week, they're having coupons, if you are a Toys R Us Rewards member, $30 off your purchase of $175 or more. I don't know how many speeder bikes you need, but if you did want a battalion of speeder bikes, that coupon could come in handy. They're $22 a speeder bike. That sounds like a really good time to start picking up some of those Hasbro Force Effects lightsabers, though. And they are getting the Ultimate FX Darth Maul lightsaber at Toys R Us's as well, and those are around $80. So again, if you wanted that and a couple others, I remember when I had the buy one, get one 75% off coupon, I went in and I was looking at the ultimate FX lightsabers as well as the regular FX lightsabers. The problem was they just didn't have enough of a variety in the same price point where I wouldn't be buying an item for $100 and getting 75% off a $30 item. Yeah, you still have to be really careful with those coupons. They sound like a great deal, but you really have to need something. The only thing that $30 off coupon is even remotely good for, the droid tank, the MTT, has started to show up at Toys R Us, and oh my lord is it expensive. Toys R Us has it priced at $180. What? $180. Actually, I am exaggerating by a penny, $179.99. Oh yeah, get that penny in there. So I guess you could buy that and get $30 off. Or you could... Go to Walmart and save 50 but at least 30 is 30 I would really wait for Black Friday for that because that seems like something that's not going to move and it'd be a great big Christmas gift for a kid who really loves Episode 1. I don't know who that kid is. If you have it, let me know. But I just think that might be a wait-and-see kind of item. As Amazon and Target.com the past few years have had the big vehicles of the year really cheap, I have added the MTT to my Amazon wish list, and every day I go, and it's already down to 126 at Amazon, which is, Amazon informs me is a few percent points less than when I initially added it to my wish list. But I'm thinking 80 is my price point for one, and 50 to 60 is my price point for multiples. I think that's a smart move. And I always love the Black Friday on Amazon anyway. 
Yeah, even if it's after Black Friday, but I remember a couple of years ago I was driving home and I get a text from Paul at Jedi Temple Archives. The ATTE is at Target.com for $60. And I remember just racing and getting two to add it to my cart and getting them shipped. It was a crazy time, but a great, great deal. And I just can't believe they wouldn't do that with the MTT. I mean, admittedly, they may not because they've done it on all the others. And maybe they know now we're sitting around waiting. And then next year when they do the next big vehicle, we're not going to buy it either because we're going to sit around and wait for the savings. I think they're shooting themselves in the foot by having... Having these savings, assuming Hasbro has any control over them and it's not just stores trying to get rid of overstock. But the thing that we have pseudo-purchased this week, some, one of the bigger items, if you are into the Star Wars Hallmark ornaments, you have to remember, most of them come out in July, right around San Diego Comic-Con, but... There are a couple that come out in October, sometimes one this year, too. There's the Darth Vader Peak Buster and the Lego Stormtrooper Keepsake Ornaments at your Hallmark stores. Yeah, I pre-order these at my local Hallmark, and the old ladies know me, and they always call me and let me know when to buy it to maximize those crown rewards points you get at Hallmark, which basically, because of all the ornaments we buy, which is between the Star Wars ones, I get, like, free greeting cards for the rest of the year, which kind of works out kind of nice, but I'm super excited about these. These are really cute. I think that Vader's really adorable. And the fact that he's a peak buster, so when Arnie tries to check his presence, Darth Vader's going to tell him, no, you can't do that. I'm liking that they're doing a Lego character per year, and I could really see that being a wonderful niche, like, small tree that you put on a table eventually, so you have the big tree, because we went back one year and just bought all the previous keepsake ornaments. It was the year you got into the ornaments. I went back and I hit eBay for you right after Christmas and got a great deal and picked up every single keepsake ornament. I bought a lot of lots, so we'd end up with two or three or four of certain ornaments, and it really helped fill out a tree, but you start getting like these odd ones like the Lego things, it's a great little like tree. When I was a kid, my parents used to put a kid's tree in my room that was like two and a half feet tall and I'd put it up on a table or you could just put one in a different area of your house and I think we're probably five or six years away from it, but with a Lego Stormtrooper, you could certainly have multiple Stormtroopers on a tree and have it not look odd. Well, you'd have to have three of them. At least, right? No, we're not on the NBC hit show Rule of Threes. We are just picking up one of the Lego Stormtrooper ornaments. But I'm thinking, like, if they do Boba Fett and, you know, looking at the Lego Star Wars game, there's just so many cute Lego representations of these iconic characters that I think an entire tree of them would be very, very cool. It would be very cool. You're right. Online has also not had a ton of stuff go up for sale this week. One item that came out with a lack of fanfare, it just kind of showed up one day as available for order, is Gentle Giant is continuing their Old Republic, Knights of the Old Republic, as in this case, maquette line they have. The Darth Malak maquette. And I pray to God that that jaw is not removable like that mini bust so that I don't snap it like I did that mini bust. Which I think they knew they had a problem with because when they had detailed instructions and then they were replacing the mouthpiece on the bus. I ended up just getting two, one to display jawless and one to display jawed because that thing was not ever coming off again once you put it on. But it is available for pre-order right now at Star Wars Action News sponsor Brian's Toys and also at Brian's Toys, don't forget... Their exclusive Jocasta new figure is still available for pre-order. And if you're one of those people who really likes your figures untouched and uncirculated, Brian's Toys is now selling unopened cases of Jocasta new figures. You can get that uncirculated feel for your figures. If you want more Gentle Giant items, Brian's Toys recently had a big initiative where they were buying Star Wars collections and they were asking us to tell you guys about buying Star Wars collections. Well, they have a ton of ton ton of older Star Wars stuff there. If you are looking for older gentle giant statues, mini busts, maquettes, Brian's Toys is your place, plus all the vintage items. And remember, when checking out at Brian's Toys, please be sure to mention you were referred to them by Star Wars Action News. Finally this week, another item that I didn't know about was sold through Sideshow. I love how Sideshow makes these partnerships with the international companies like Hot Toys, and in this case, Tamashi Nations to bring the international items that you can't get too easily in the States to the States, Medicom. Well, they had a Tamashi Nations 
12-inch C-3PO. And because Sideshow does so many 12-inch figures, this may seem like a big whoop, but this is a die-cast C-3PO. And I remember being in the 80s having a lot of die-cast collectibles. I had a die-cast Voltron. There is something about the heft and the detail and the sheen of a die-cast collectible that makes the C-3PO very tempting, even at 400 bucks. I imagine that's just the right medium for C-3PO anyway. Yeah. The question I have is one of scale, because it is not a Sideshow product. How well will this C-3PO fit in with your Metacom stuff or your Sideshow stuff? Because even though Metacom is a 12-inch collectible line and Sideshow is a 12-inch collectible line, those of you who bought, say, the Metacom Boba Fett and the Metacom Jango Fett when Sideshow wasn't doing armored figures know that the Metacom ones just aren't quite to scale. They're a little bit shorter. They just don't quite fit perfectly with the Sideshow ones, so I'd be curious to know where this C-3PO fit in, if this die-cast one would be a suitable replacement for something else in the 12-inch line, be it Metacom or Sideshow, or if it's just kind of its own thing, its own very cool, very expensive thing. Yeah, it would be kind of interesting to see, and it's kind of great that Sideshow does that, because there are a lot of foreign items that are great, and sometimes it is difficult buying foreign items just because you don't know currency exchange, blah, 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 all that stuff, shipping, and this is great. You can get it directly from Sideshow. Now, one question we had on the Facebook page is, what are the likelihood of an R2-D2 coming out? And admittedly, I only know what Sideshow has given us in the way of information on this C-3PO, but if you look at the pictures of the C-3PO, the last picture is C-3PO posed with an R2-D2. So I would say that the odds of a die-cast R2 to join C-3PO are pretty high. Well, I can't imagine you just do one anyway. You'd have to have them both. Depends on if it's successful. That's very true. But really, I didn't order the C-3PO because of the price. I'm interested to see it in person before spending $400. Maybe if one of you listeners gets it and would like to do a review for us here on the show, I would love to hear a hands-on review when it ships in February. But we have been doing most of our shopping again at odd places like the Toy Man Toy Show in St. Louis. And that one's always fun because they're every few months. There's some great bargains. It's one day. And the while you have the same dealers, there's a lot of new dealers, and the dealers rotate their stock often. Yeah, it's a lot of toy dealers. I think a lot of them have stores in the St. Louis area because you'll talk to them, and they'll be like, oh, I didn't bring that this time. And while you see some of the same stuff each time, you also see some brand new things. So here's our report also from the car as we're leaving the Toy Man Toys show. And we are driving home from the Toy Man Toy Show where I spent a bit too much money but found some very cool things and Marjorie got some sketches, including one of Jar Jar. I did. They have local artists there. And this guy, and I don't remember his name. He didn't have a big sign. He doesn't do this for a living. He's an art teacher. And he just does simple line drawings and some coloring of characters. I got a sketch for $3. Actually, two fifty because it was two for five, and it's an 8 by 10 sketch. He did Jar Jar, and he did this really great grinning Jar Jar for me. And then I bought you the Gamorrean Guard since it was two for five. Actually, I think it was my Gamorrean that decided you were going to get a Jar Jar's because it was three for one or two for five, and he'd do custom. He had this really cool Gamorrean out there, which I think would look really good colored. Maybe I'll fo- scan it and then see about photoshopping in some colors, but it was just wonderful line work of an attacking Gamorrean, a really action-y Gamorrean, which you don't often see. Gamorreans are usually standing around doy. Yeah, they're not too active. They're just kind of there. There was a lot of unusual stuff at Toy Man this time, though. Right when we walked in, we found a whole bunch of vintage bric-a-brac from the Return of the Jedi era. They had a bunch of spiral-bound Return of the Jedi vintage notebooks in just pristine condition. I got one of each. There were six styles, some really nice vintage art. I'm not sure who the artist is of, like, the Jabba and the band, but it really took me back to, like, that Macquarie style. I mean, this stuff is very suitable for framing, even though they're spiral-bound notebooks. Yeah, they're really nice. I think I had some of them, actually, for school. I know I had the Luke and Emperor one back in the day, but what's funny is, as I've grown up, now I'm far more into the arty ones that look more drawn, like the 
concept Rebo band and the one that excited me as a kid, Luke Skywalker, I still like. It still takes me back, but it's not. If I could only have gotten one, it wouldn't have been the one. I had all the Ewok stuff when Return of the Jedi came out. I had to have every single bit of Ewok stuff. They also had something I haven't seen before, which was a vintage Darth Vader lamp, but we did leave it there. I don't think it was an officially licensed product. I was looking at the bottom, and I couldn't find any kind of trademark or anything on the bottom. It was a ceramic lamp. And I will tell you from experience, my mom used to go to these ceramics workshops and make all kinds of stuff like that. I think that it was one of those where someone made a ceramic mold kind of like Darth Vader. I couldn't find any kind of trademark, and his eyes were stars. His eyes being stars made me wonder, now that you're mentioning this homemade craft stuff, that would explain the off-white yellow cord that attached, whereas I think they'd go something else. It looked basically cannibalized from another lamp. My mom made an awesome elephant lamp one time in the early 80s at a ceramics workshop. So, yeah, these kinds of things were prevalent back then. I wish they still did stuff. Now it's kind of kitschy. I'd go do it. but It was really dinged up. I mean, whatever was under the black paint was white, and I was seeing if it was white dirt on the black paint. No, it's the ceramics. You make them in the white mold. They're white. It's like a cement mix, and then you paint it, and you stop the lady because she mentioned it was dinged up, and she grabbed a Sharpie and was going to color it in, and like you like leapt to stop her. It was like, no! Well, once I figured out it was dings in the paint, I wasn't sure Sharpie was exactly the way to go. Because if you have something damaged, if it was vintage, and I hadn't thought about bootleg item at this point, it's better to have it legitimately dinged than really poorly repaired by somebody coloring it in with a Sharpie in the middle of a toy show. Yeah, obviously that's not the best option. He probably would have, if if he did purchase it, he probably would have benefited from a nice repaint, perhaps with actual ceramic paint to make it all match. We did get a R2-D2 C-3PO alarm clock, though, that was vintage. Yeah, it's kind of cute. It's just C-3PO standing up, and there's a little old-fashioned clock, and R2-D2's there, and I'm not going to use it. I'm going to keep it, but it's kind of cute. There was another one we saw later on in the original box. Had we waited, we could have gotten a better deal, but... It was at the very last booth. Not kidding. The very last booth. A lot of people weren't dealing. Like, that woman also had the Darth Vader speakerphone. And this has a special place in my heart as a collectible I don't own. Because when I started collecting Star Wars, I decided to be picky. And my friend Stuart, who co-hosts Now Playing, said that when he was a kid, he had a Darth Vader speakerphone. And it was up in his parents' attic. And do I want that piece of junk? And I went, absolutely not. When I start taking things like that, you know I've gone too far. I think you've gone too far. A few years later, I sheepishly asked him if he could go to his attic and get me the Darth Vader speakerphone. He laughed heartily and then went to look and found out his parents had thrown it out. But now it is the sign of my insanity that I must own this Darth Vader speakerphone that when I was less insane, I said, if I start buying things like that, I've gone too far. I just buy toys. Oh, how cute. That's adorable. She had it there. That was in the original box. She wanted 50 for it and was not willing to barter. No, and, you know, I quickly hopped on eBay, and they weren't selling for 20 new in box unused. So if you hold out and play the long game, as you have for a number of years now, you're going to get it. I did pick up the Droid World book. It did not have the cassette, but I may or may not have an MP3 provided to me that may or may not be entirely quasi-legitimate on a hard drive anyway, and I definitely do not own a cassette player, so a Droid World cassette, I'd need that MP3 anyway. So I got the book in fairly good condition so I can read along with that MP3 for a dollar. I'll make you some hot cocoa and you can do that. It's going to be nice to have the book finally after listening to this surreal, crazy-ass Star Wars story so many times as I have. I had all those as a kid. I loved those. I was very musical when I was a child, and I listened to all those, and I'd buy all those books. We went through the whole floor and saw some modern figures, saw some of the vintage stuff. Not a whole lot of stuff, but there were some cool finds. One thing I almost bought, came real close, it was $40, was a diorama from the Death Star that the dealer had made at Frank DiOrio's diorama workshop at Celebration. And it had all of Frank's really well-done printout backdrops and everything. So it had a good look to it. It was black cardboard. It wasn't 
Hasbro playset level cool, but it would have been a nice way to display some figures in a Death Star environment. And for 40 I toyed with the idea, but ended up passing. Yeah, it was really nice. My only problem with it, it was too short for you to buy as a door diorama. You could have made one, too. The same guy also had a Darth Vader figure with Comtech chip that really caught my eye because it was a card I'd never seen before. It said Dark Lords of the Sith. And I'm thinking, is this a foreign line where they repackaged figures like this? Was this going on in Germany during the time that we were ramping up for episode one here? So I looked at it really closely. It turned out that somebody had just done a custom card job on it. And it was a very well-done custom card, but when you turned it over, you saw the power of the Force 2 card in all its glory. Oh, I totally missed that. I didn't even see that. It was right above the diorama. Going through, saw a lot of things, thought about buying a few things. They had the Mexican convention exclusive figures that I hadn't seen. One lady who we bought a Disney pin from last time at Toy Man actually had some of the Droid Factory astromechs. She was deeply engaged in a conversation about Disney, so I didn't ever find out the price, but it was my first time seeing Disney Build-A-Droids, and it was just this hodgepodge of black, white, and red parts. It didn't look very good, but it looked kind of cool in just its randomness. Yeah, she had all kinds of neat stuff, and she always has lots of Disney stuff, so it's worth a shot looking at her every once in a while. We also picked up a Millennium Falcon 3D puzzle and then got to the car and realized we already had one, but now we have one to open and build and one to keep nice and shrink wrapped. Where's the we in this? I, I was not aware I was keeping track of what you bought. I was not aware that I was either, so there we go. We're together on that one. Yes, we are. But I think the piece de resistance for this show has to be a vintage carded figure I impulse bought. There was a 12-back Han there. Now, that's not what I bought, but no. it was there. And it's my first time really seeing a 12-back at one of these shows. I passed because the card had the pop cut off of it. The guy wanted 350 for it. And I know that that wouldn't be the 12-back Han. That would be my permanent one. You know, I'd date that 12-back Han, but I wouldn't marry that 12-back Han. The card was pretty jacked up on it, actually. I'm glad you didn't buy it. Yeah, it wasn't Mr. Right Han. It was Mr. Right Now Han, so I decided not to buy that cow. I think you made a wise choice on that one. And really, he had a lot of vintage figures, Star Wars, Empire. He had two Empire figures that I looked at real closely, though. One was a snowtrooper, and the other was Yoda. And this guy was really willing to make a deal. He really wanted me to buy both, but... I looked at that snowtrooper really closely. It was heavily creased vertically down the card near the bubble. And again, I knew I wouldn't be happy with that in the long term. So I told him I just wasn't interested. But that Yoda, it was a 32-back Yoda from the very first release with the Yoda on the back in the upper right corner. There was no yellowing of the bubble. He said the card was creased, but I only saw it right above the peg hole. And it had the peg hole cardboard in it. It looked like it had been reinserted, maybe from a different one, but it had a punched but still there look that some people do, and complete. The guy was only asking 50 for it, and I got him talked down to 45, and even though it's not in perfect condition, it's in really good condition. I didn't see any creases, just some warping, and I think that warping could be taken out over time with a nice plexiglass, acid-free star case that keeps the card back flat. Yeah, I think that would probably take it all out of there, and it'd be just fine. And this one actually really mattered to me, and I think I bought it because I saw that, and it took me back to 1980, Christmas season. Every year, my mother would go on a shopping trip for Christmas up to Chicago, and it would be a weekend, and she'd usually take me along because it was cheaper than getting a sitter, and I was five years old here, we're talking, and all I wanted, because I was so into Empire Strikes Back, all I wanted was a Yoda figure, and I didn't understand release dates, I didn't understand waves, all I knew is I wanted a Yoda figure. It was Star Wars, so therefore there had to be a Yoda figure. It turns out we were looking for a Yoda figure before they were ever released, but I made my mom go to every department store and toy store during Christmas time in Chicago looking for that figure, and eventually Santa did get me one by Christmas, but when we were doing this, 
back in the September, October, you know, Christmas had started to ramp up, but it wasn't Black Friday or anything. There were no Yodas to be found. And so I remember to this day going into the toy stores looking for that Yoda. My mom's exasperation every time I didn't find one, knowing that meant more stores had to be hit, much like Marjorie now. Yeah, you've sent me for things that don't exist yet sometimes. Well, I was thinking the exasperation of, you mean they didn't have one? You mean we have to go to more Toys R Us? Yeah, it's sad when you realize that Toys R Us has have like three different layouts and that's it, and then they're all the same. And so because of that memory of Yoda, and it was an orange snake Yoda, which was the snake I had as a kid, and I lost that cane as a kid, and just brought back so many damn memories that for $45 in that condition, I now have added another vintage carded figure to my collection, and this one is a lifer. Yeah, it's a great one. It's got some price stickers on it, but I've just come to expect that. Yeah, that was the day before scanners. This one had been marked down a few times, it looked like. (laughs) Well, you know, maybe people didn't want Yoda. This guy gave me his card. He was selling this one from his personal collection because he'd gotten a Tri-Logo one. And he has a whole bunch of others. So he is doing another show in a month. And we may be checking him out again because he has reasonable priced vintage figures. And as Marjorie pointed out to me at the show, it's so nice with vintage figures to be able to inspect them yourself right there versus going off eBay and hoping that the pictures haven't been touched up or taken from the best possible angles and things. Yeah, it's so much easier to look at it in your hand and you can hold it up and see actually how much the card waves. You can see the creasing to see if it's acceptable. I really like looking at them in person better. So I would say all in all, a very successful Toy Man show. We've started really making a habit out of these Toy Man shows. We started seeing the patterns. We've seen the things that were there last time that didn't sell. Like there was a Queen Starship last time that I really wanted, but it was assembled, and I'm like, I have no place to put that till we get the Sasonian rebuilt completely, and it was still there, and I still have no place to put it, so hopefully it'll be there again next time. I'm pretty sure it will be there again next time. And then I also did get one other thing. I got a Star Wars 3 CD soundtrack set that was conducted by John Williams, but completely rearranged and re-performed. I had not seen this incarnation of the soundtracks and while i'm sure it's mostly the same music i've listened to the original john williams stuff so often and the other john williams cd that came out i'm always up for any variation and any minor differences yeah i suppose so that is it from toy man the next one is not that far away it is november 4th and before that we found out from that guy who sold me the vintage yoda that there's another toy show in St. Louis. The one we went to a few years ago in Belleville at the Belclair Fairgrounds has actually happened a couple times a year, and the next one is the weekend of October 20th, so we're going to hit that one. That's the one where Marjorie got the tongue-sticking-out Jar Jar, and I got that wonderfully kitschy 70s Star Wars van. Yeah, that was an awesome van. As I recall, that show had a ton of vintage stuff, and I'm hoping they have it, too, when we go back. So that's it from this year's Toy Man Toy Show. Now, in addition to Toy Man, when we decided we were coming up for Star Wars Reads Day in Minneapolis, we were told, oh, you have to hit Falcon or Falcon. It is a convention. They have it in the fall in Minneapolis. It's a one-day thing, and the same people put on a two-day one every spring. It's a comic book convention. And being kind of a regional thing and looking at the website, and when we tried to look at the website, the website was down, we thought it would be a smaller show. Yeah, I really thought it'd be kind of like our comic book convention we have in Springfield, which is in the ballroom of a hotel. It's very tiny. They don't really have much of a web presence. It's just a small show. We ended up getting a chance to go out there. We did get through the show in about an hour. It was a very small exhibit floor. Everything was put together. They had a huge list on their website of artists, and I thought, wow, if Artist Alley has this many people... How big is the show floor going to be? It looked like a hundred artists were on Artist Alley, but they didn't really have an Artist Alley. What they just had were exhibitors mixed together, and you'd have a comic book dealer, and sitting right next to them would be an artist, and right next to them would be a toy vendor, and next to that would be a video game vendor, and it was really a hodgepodge all thrown together on a exhibit floor that was definitely on the smaller side, but a good size for a regional convention. I would say... 
in space, it's probably on par with the Toy Man Toy Show as far as square footage. Yeah, it's probably about the same. The thing that hit me, though, was I'm not a comic book collector. With I buy the Star Wars comic books as they come out. Marjorie got me that great set of Marvel Star Wars comic books from the vintage era, but I don't really have a lot of use for comic vendors. I get my trade paperbacks from Amazon, again, unfondled. So the toy vendors and the artists were what I kind of went for, and the way the tables were laid out, it was kind of hard to get to some of the tables, so I'd look at the artist stuff from afar, see what they had up on a wall, and just kind of moved on. I didn't really stay and peruse any of their art too in-depth. Yeah, it was kind of difficult to view different booths because they were interspersed like that, and people would glom all around the toy vendors and the comic vendors, and then the little poor artists would be sitting there just like, oh, okay, hi, see my art? No? Okay, okay, thanks. And I felt kind of bad for some of them. As far as Star Wars toys go, I was really kind of unimpressed. I mean, having come from Toy Man a week before, which admittedly is a completely dedicated toy show... But having seen so many Star Wars toys and knowing what they charge, and then I came here and really there were a couple of vintage mini rigs and beat up boxes, no prices, but judging by the vendor's other items, the prices would have probably been a little high. What I saw primarily was 1990s era Power of the Force 2 Shadows of the Empire at extraordinarily high prices. Like, if you remember, the Millennium Falcon set that sat on your computer keyboard and you could play a game in Windows and it came with two action figures and you could put more action figures on this Millennium Falcon thing, the thing broke my keyboard is what I remember most about it. It actually popped keys off. I had to get a new keyboard and snapped them. But they had that there for $50. They had the Shadows of the Empire Swoop Bike for $25. Just a crazy high prices. They'd have Power of the Force 2 figures for 8 to $10 a piece. So I did not buy a single Star Wars item at all of Falcon. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. I was really looking forward to, you know, picking up something because the toy shows are really great to pick up the weird items and just little tchotchkes. And it's kind of sad. I couldn't find anything. But really, we didn't come up here for Falcon. If you're in the area, I suggest Falcon. It's only $8 to get in and especially if you like comic books or if you want custom art. But we came up here for Star Wars Reads Day, the first annual Star Wars Reads Day. Yeah, they had some authors here. And depending where you were, there was different events going on. Like our local Barnes & Noble just had a Star Wars Reads Day with activities for kids and I think a special sale on Star Wars books. I know Books A Million was having some events and some different things, but the artists and the authors were kind of few and far between, depending on where you were. And for some reason, Roseville was lucky enough to get Dan Wallace, John Jackson Miller, and Troy Denning. Yeah, I have to say, I love the idea of Star Wars Reads Day. I love the idea of promoting Star Wars fiction. I really think that this is an initiative that's long overdue. The fact that we have had so many Star Wars books come out since 1990, and this is the first time they're really trying to bring in readers and really trying to make something of the book. Yeah, it seems like it should have been a long time coming and not just something new. That being said, this was really packed. I think a lot of people were excited about it. I think so, too. I think that their marketing was very successful in getting the word out. You mentioned bookstores having it. I know a lot of libraries were having Star Wars Reads Day events as well. And that's very cool that you can go to the public library because I know a lot of people aren't collecting the Star Wars books but just want to read them. And a library is a great way to, for free, get the Star Wars books to read once and then return. And the message certainly got out. The Barnes & Noble event manager estimated that here at this one, there were about 250 people, which is an insane number. I go to these events all the time in Chicago, Indianapolis. I've driven to Lexington, Kentucky to see Tim Zahn. And I don't recall ever seeing 250 people at one. Yeah, this was really a big event. I was surprised at how big it was. But they did it really nicely because they had cleared out part of the store and had a bunch of chairs set up and tables around with Star Wars books, and there was plenty of room for everybody. There really was. It was standing room only, though. Uh, There were about 100 chairs, and by the time we got there at quarter till, it was no room for two people to sit together. But then it was very cool. They called all the kids up front and everything so that they could have a good view 
But what I think the Star Wars Reads Day did, with its very cute little Yoda art and its logo, was it really drove home, hey, this is an event for kids. And when you got there, they had the kids making lightsabers out of balloons. Yeah, it was really ingenious. They took those really long balloons, like the ones you use for balloon animals, and they were a good three feet long. They had all different colors. And then they took that craft foam and they had like rectangular pieces of it. And the lady was really cute showing the kids how to make a lightsaber out of it. And it was great because they were adhesive on one side, so you just wrapped that foam around it and you had a hilt. And it was a really great craft idea, very simple, probably was very inexpensive for them. Those kids loved that. And there were kids playing with those lightsaber balloons the whole time. The downside was it was suddenly filled with a whole bunch of squeaking balloons and popping balloons. Yeah. First of all, I was hit in the head countless times with kids swinging balloons. Now, I mean, it's not like that would hurt or anything. It just sometimes it gets annoying when you're trying to listen to somebody speak and somebody's popping balloons in your face. But there were a ton of popping and squeaking. And I think it's great that they had this for kids. But then when the event itself started and they had Daniel Wallace, who we've had on the show, great guy, author of A Jedi Path and The Book of Sith, highly recommend both of those, as well as The Essential Guide to Planets and Moons. He was there. Then you had Troy Denning, author of Apocalypse and a dozen other Star Wars books. And then you had John Jackson Miller who he called himself the journeyman of the group because he's kind of knew where he wrote some of the Knights of the Old Republic comics and now the Knight Errant comics and the Knight Errant novel. And he was talking about how he wrote that novel in 10 days. But what I noticed was there's a disconnect because you've got this event that's bringing in the kids, but then you bring out these three authors. And I definitely say that while not the harshest Star Wars books out there, I definitely think that Death Troopers and Cross Current are harsher than Star by Star and Apocalypse, Troy Denning writes hard, action-packed Star Wars fiction in which people die lots. So I don't really see that as being the I'm swinging around a balloon lightsaber crowd necessarily. Yeah, but they had it for all ages, really. I mean, the parents maybe would enjoy the authors. The kids just enjoyed the craft of it all. Right, I completely agree, but where I felt there was a disconnect is there was no MC for the event. You're right, they needed to have somebody to guide the questions and maybe, I hate to say filter, but I, I think what they had to realize was were, there's going to be a lot of children there, and one thing they needed to do was have something, because the kids are going to ask questions like, what does C-3PO do when he does this? Kids ask really intelligent technical questions like that that had nothing to do with the books. Which I think the authors were all game for. I got to really give them all credit for being professional. And one of the questions they got from a kid was, how did they do the R2-D2 effect? And all three of them were just very generous with giving the information of how Kenny Baker is a little person who actually sat in there and drove it sometimes. And then there were other R2-D2s that were remote control and others that were made by computer. And None of these guys worked on the movies. They're just knowledgeable Star Wars fans. But I don't think they needed a filter. I think if you're going to have an event for kids, that's great. I think the reason this event was so packed is you had both crowds, though. I think if we'd stayed at home, we would have seen a lot more of only kids. We might have felt very out of place. Whereas here, you had kids who came because it was Star Wars Reads Day, and their parents thought, what a fun activity, get our kids to read, get our kids to like Star Wars. And then you had people like us who came for the EU thing. What I felt was disconnected is the three gentlemen up there were experts in their book, and Dan Wallace is talking about his essential guide in the Book of Sith, which are really great books, but not targeted for these kids. And you also have Troy Denning talking about his books, and even John Jackson Miller, he writes comic books, but comic books aren't today what comic books were in the 70s and 80s when I grew up. I don't know, again, that kids who play with balloons are necessarily the target audience for Knight Errant, and yet I saw several of them bought those comics by their parents, and I'm not saying it's inappropriate. It's not. It's just a little bit harder than what I would think for the six to eight-year-old range. There isn't any more an all-ages is what they call it, Star Wars comic. They did that a little bit with Clone Wars Adventures. 
where I felt an MC would have been really good is to just talk about Star Wars books in general for the new crowd, for the people who aren't into EU and don't know already. And they had displays of books to have somebody kind of say, hey, if you watch the Clone Wars, maybe you'd like these Clone Wars Adventures comics that talk about it. Or maybe you'd like some of these graphic novels that compile stories that go in between Clone Wars episodes. That sounds like a really good idea. Also, what I feel was underrepresented was the essential reader's companion. We had Pablo on the show last week. He talked a lot about that book. It's a great book. I do not know whether they timed this book to come out this week to tie into Star Wars Reads Day or if this book inspired Star Wars Reads Day. I would love to know which came first, the chicken or the egg in that case, because what better way to celebrate Star Wars Reads Day than with a book that guides you through this entire labyrinthine expanded universe. This Barnes & Noble didn't have a single copy in their store. Yeah, that's why I was curious, because I didn't see it out anywhere, because they did have, like, the Lego book that comes with a free figure, the new Star Wars origami books out there. I saw some visual guides, but I didn't see the new Pablo book. One of the people I talked to there, that was their go-to Barnes & Noble, and he went there on Tuesday when the book came out, and they're like, we don't have it, but we can order it for you. And this seems to be a recurring theme with Barnes & Noble of not getting books. It's forcing people to go online, go to Amazon to get them, and you just can't support a local bookstore anymore unless what you want is Fifty Shades of Grey. I think you're right, and I hate to say that, because you and I both grew up with a great local bookstore in town that we both frequented. Several of them, actually. And the last one just closed a few years ago, and I, Barnes & Noble's a chain. I still like having a real bookstore in town that I can go and actually look at books in. But if they're not going to have stuff that should be common, I would think. I mean, Star Wars is pretty mainstream anymore since Pottery Barn and William Sonoma and everything. But how could you not have that, especially for Star Wars Reads Day? That's what I don't get. Yeah, I think that having a copy, having 50 copies of that would not be too much. They had tons of copies of other books. And, you know, they really could have tied that in great and gave a little talk about it. And, hey, we have some of these books in this store right now besides this book. So get this book. It tells you which ones to go through and then buy some of these other books. And they could have made a they could have made a package deal or something, anything to get the word out. I don't think it focused necessarily on reading in the books. It just seemed like a good excuse for them to do some Star Wars stuff. Exactly. And get people into a bookstore, which unfortunately is hard enough as it is. But I think that, first of all, one thing they really lacked was a PA system. Now, I saw a mic stand. Maybe they tried to get a PA system and they had some technical difficulties. But with all those squeaky balloons and everything, it was just hard to hear the authors. And I feel an MC, a moderator, who would have talked and introduced these people rather than making them introduce themselves, and who could have shaped a conversation about Star Wars reading that kind of talked about the history of the Star Wars books a little bit, because I guarantee you had people who didn't know that. And you could just talk about, hey, kids, there's all these young readers' books. There's all the young Jedi Knight books. There's all the stories of when... Obi-Wan was a Padawan to Qui-Gon. All of this stuff by Jude Watson and Ryder Windham. Just these great books that I have entire collections of. Given the audience, having a conversation that would have spanned the entire audience, I think would have been a little bit more helpful. And also introducing the authors and talking a little bit more about their works rather than having them come out and be like, I'm Daniel Wallace. I've worked for on a number of books and I'm Troy Denning and I started writing for West End Games and I've written about a dozen Star Wars books. I just would have liked to have seen the conversation shaped a little more because I think it would have promoted the Star Wars reading more to the entire audience and maybe gotten kids and their parents both who may not buy Star Wars books to each walk out of there with a Star Wars book, a young reader's book for the kids and maybe heir to the empire for the parents. Yeah, I think those are all great ideas. And that being said, it was still a really fun event. The kids were having a ball with the lightsabers, and the 501st was there with some stormtroopers, a scout trooper, and some snow troopers. It was great, because when they walked out, the kids just go, you could hear a collective going, oh, they were so excited. So keep in mind they had to satisfy a couple different age groups. I think it worked out well despite that. And for what you want, as far as the authors you get in conventions, but hopefully it did introduce some people to maybe even reading in general because it was in a bookstore. 
And to be honest, I just love the idea of a Star Wars Reads Day so much. That's why I'm armchair quarterbacking. But the energy in that room was phenomenal. Everybody stayed for the drawings. They had Star Wars Reads Day shirts, Star Wars Reads Day pins with the logos, books they were giving away, Mimoku thumb drives, because, you know, Barnes & Noble... You can't find the book you want, but you want some tchotchkes. They got your tchotchkes, and they were giving some of those away. And it was a great event, and I think it was very successful at the one we went to. I just would love to see them take that to the next level. I feel that while they got the word out about Star Wars Reads Day very successfully... It was very hard for me to find where the authors were going to be. I'd have to go to the author's specific Facebook pages or the author's specific blogs, websites, or Twitter. Because if I went to the map that said there was a Star Wars Reads Day event, there were a thousand Star Wars Reads Day events coast to coast, which is tremendous. But if you're looking for something specific, especially something a little bit for the more in-depth, it was very hard to find which ones were more what I would consider this to be a charter event with three authors. I agree. And they should have maybe had name it like signature event or something like that or something to denote that, hey, while the other stores are doing this, this store has something super cool like an author or some kind of activity that the others don't. Now, they're already saying they are planning to do this in 2013, and they want to take it global. This was just American, but next year they want to do this again. I think it's a tremendous idea. I am all for promotion of anything that gets people to read, anything that gets people to explore the Star Wars EU, which I think has some great stories, and anything that gets kids invested in Star Wars and gets the next generation of Star Wars fans going. I love this concept. I love that they did it. I just wish that they would have aced it instead of, you know, they they hit a great ground double. And I think a lot of it might have been store dependent because these were put on by the stores. I'm sure they got some stuff from Lucasfilm and Delray and Random House and things what to do. But I think that each store independently shaped their event. Absolutely they did. What it was was they would sign up to host an event and they would be sent a craft kit. So the little Xerox pamphlet we had of crafts and perhaps the balloon lightsabers, all of these were ideas that came from Delray and Lucasfilm. But the fact that these authors were here happened primarily because these authors live near here and they were close. John Jackson Miller came the furthest at four hours, but his family wanted to see the Mall of America. So it was a great way to double up on that and to see other co-authors with whom he's worked. And... I got to say, it was just a great event. Got the autographs that I didn't get at Celebration 6. I got Daniel Wallace's autograph last year at New York Comic Con, but I'm saying anybody at Celebration 6, Timothy Zahn, James Lucino, and Drew Karpishan, if anyone knows of events where they're signing, let me know. We drove 16 hours round trip to come to this one. I have those other three authors who I missed at Celebration that I need to track down. But then afterwards, we just got to hang with Troy Denning a little bit, and that was just so great to talk not Star Wars with him and to just hang out for a bit. And then we got to go out with some Star Wars action news listeners and friends and have just a great time with a grumpy waitress at Grumpy's Bar and Grill. Yeah, apparently it was a theme bar because she was surly and mean. I think she took the name of the restaurant a little too literally, but you know something? It was great to see the authors. It was great to see the events, but it was so great to see the people we saw here. Too many to name, but just had a great time. We stayed out until 10 o'clock, which, you know, doesn't sound all that late, really, but it does when you spend eight hours on the road first to get there and just had a great time talking Star Wars, talking Star Wars Reads Day and talking Star Wars Collecting. Well, I was sitting on the other end of the table we were discussing engineering, so I maybe had a more interesting conversation. Possibly. Uh, Carter, formerly known as Darth Rain on the forum, seems to bring every conversation back to politics for some reason. I don't know. He's not a poli-sci major, but perhaps he should be. And so there were lots of discussions about politics and presidential elections and gubernatorial elections and Minnesotan politics and all of that. But There was also just a lot of fun times with friends. We got to see a couple of people who work on JediDefender.com. Jason from Yakface was there, our webmaster Jason, who we realized we haven't seen in five years. We got to hang out with him. I know that was great seeing him again. Just 
great time with great friends, and I really thank Delray and Lucasfilm for having Star Wars Reads Day, because without it, we wouldn't have come up here, and we wouldn't have had such a great time. Yeah, we had a really great weekend. And for Star Wars Reads Day, I have an announcement from Star Wars Action News. It has long been promised, but Star Wars Reads Day, more than anything else, has gotten me flooded with email asking... What is the situation with the Star Wars Action News Book Club? When I started the Star Wars Action News Book Club, it was the single most time-consuming podcast we had, as in addition to reading and in addition to recording, each show took about 100 hours to edit and enhance. That was a lot of time. And then we started doing other shows, and people would actually say to me, you know, you're doing now playing... Well, why aren't you doing the Star Wars Action News Book Club instead? And the truthful answer is, now playing takes a lot less than 100 hours to do. We're able to produce a lot of output. But I want to get back to the Star Wars Action News Book Club. The book club members want to get back to the Star Wars Action News Book Club. The listeners have expressed a desire for the Star Wars Action News Book Club. And so, in order to make that time, in 2013... One week a month, Star Wars Action News proper toy collecting is going to not have a show, and instead we are going to have a Star Wars Action News book club come out every month next year. So that will happen. It will start in January with The Empire Strikes Back. I've got so many great interviews I cannot wait to share with you listeners. We've talked to James Kahn, Donald Glute, Kevin J. Anderson. I have all this stuff from when the book club read the books that I just cannot wait to get out on the feed. So I am very excited to get back to that. I know Brock is. And speaking of Brock, last week we talked to Pablo about the Essential Reader's Companion. Here is Brock with a review of the Essential Reader's Companion. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison with a review of Star Wars The Essential Reader's Companion by Pablo Hidalgo. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. Being the Star Wars Action News Book Club liaison, over the years I have received this question more than any other. Rock, where do I start to read in the EU? Because I have received that question so much, and I know Arnie has as well, on the forums or in person when I meet some of you at conventions, etc., when I do reviews for Star Wars Action News, I make sure I mention in the review if you have any required reading to enjoy the book I am reviewing. So, for example, if it's something like The Fate of the Jedi Apocalypse from earlier this year, I'd recommend that you read the other books in the series before reading that last one. That's kind of obvious. But in the case of, say, one of the Old Republic novels, I make sure to point out you have to have nothing read ahead of time. Go into that book and enjoy it. It's a one-shot. Or even the Paul Kemp novels, for example. Go in and enjoy it. Sometimes, sure, there are aspects of the book that can be enhanced if you have read other Star Wars EU, but to enjoy the story at hand, you don't need to know that much. So say you don't have the other nine books in the X-Wing series, but you want to know what happens so you can enjoy Mercy Kill because your spouse gives you Mercy Kill for this holiday season. And while reading Mercy Kill, you find that there's information in there about the New Jedi Order Yuzhan Vong War, and you want to know more about that. That's 19 books. Are you going to put down Mercy Kill and read 19 other books and 9 other X-Wing books just so you can get the full effect and all of the nuances that the author put into this book? What can you do? You could just read that book because the book does play on its own pretty well. Or I suggest go to the Star Wars Essential Reader's Companion that will give you everything you need to know. This book can be used in a variety of ways. The Star Wars Essential Reader's Companion is a way to get to know what you need to know quickly. Or it could be a refresher for those of us who have read some of these books 15, 20 years ago at this point. Or it can give you a general idea of what kind of stories are out there and serve as an introduction to a variety of different stories, formats, characters that you may not have known existed. How does this book work? An entry starts with not just the title and the author and the original publication date, but often with the cover art for the novel, and in some cases many different versions of the cover art over the years, which is kind of fun to see how the cover has changed, especially in cases like, say, the Star Wars movie novelization. Each entry lists the main characters, the planets of the world visited, and planetary coordinates if you have the essential atlas so you can find the planet there, the timeline placement, I'll get to that in a second, and finally, the summary of the actual story, hitting the main characters, essential plot lines, and conclusions. 
I was actually quite impressed with the level of detail in these summaries. Yes, it's a summary, and in most cases, not all, you will get more out of the story if you read the original work. But man, are they well done. I wonder how many times you had to read some of these books or stories to get the summaries that efficiently written. Going back and reading some of these entries for books that I haven't read since college or even high school, it was great to revisit some of this stuff. I forgot about character names and situations. Sometimes I forgot that certain plot points happened in those series. And flipping through the book, I also enjoyed reading entries about books or short stories I've never read. The book does not include everything in Star Wars EU, as it tells you in the introduction. It covers most Star Wars novels, but not the choose-your-own-adventure kind of things or comic stuff. While they acknowledge that the graphic novels are an important part of EU, it's not what this companion is about, so you're also not going to find Brian Daly's radio dramas or plots from video games in here. But the book does include short stories that were included in, say, the Star Wars Insider, or some of those young adult novels that I was too old for when they came out, like, say, some of the Jude Watson books, or the Star Wars Journal series that came out in the late 90s. I also was able to find summaries of e-novels that I missed that filled in some gaps during, say, the New Jedi Order era. And that was fun to finally catch up and read summaries of those stories I had only heard about from years and years ago. And after many of the summaries of the books or stories, there is often some behind-the-scenes information at the end of the entries. And I loved this. I found myself reading through the book, just reading all the little extra trivia bits at the end of the entries, because so much information in there about chronological errors or how the story of this book might contradict something else. For example, this companion explains how all the EU of the Clone Wars has been affected by the Clone Wars cartoon and how it all fits together. Fascinating stuff for someone like myself who has been reading Star Wars EU for over 20 years. A wonderful, unexpected bonus to this volume. I mentioned chronology earlier. The entries in this companion are not in publication order, but rather are presented in in-universe chronology. The book is broken down to eight chapters by eras, and it starts with the ancient Jedi and Sith and goes all the way up to the recent legacy era. If you're interested in reading all of these stories in one long history of the Star Wars universe, this book provides a way for you to do that. Now, you could just do that reading the summaries in this book, but clearly this companion would like you to go out and actually read the individual stories for yourself and experience it that way. In the cases where a large spread of time takes place in a book, where a story concludes in the timeline as opposed to where it begins dictated its placement in the companion. And I thought that was a great choice. In the case of the concurrent stories in a time span, like say the Jedi Academy trilogy and I Jedi, the editor uses his judgment. This will all make sense once you start looking through this book, and I think the way they did it was a wise choice in placing some of these novels in this volume. And in the cases of trilogies or duologies, Mr. Hidalgo often puts them in one entry, since they are fundamentally one long story, and I found that to be a strong choice because I like the longer, more detailed summaries there. If the summaries of all these EU works weren't enough, if adding the book covers wasn't enough, and the extra trivia tidbits were not enough, and the extra added bonus of it being a new chronology and answering questions about where things fit in the universe, if all that wasn't enough. <laughs> this book is fully illustrated. The artwork I completely didn't expect. It never occurred to me this companion would be fully illustrated with incredible artwork from six different artists, including Chris Trevis, whose work I've enjoyed immensely in previous Essential Guides. But it never occurred to me they would actually illustrate this book throughout. And like in any other art collection, some images I liked better than others. For example, at the beginning of each of the eight chapters I mentioned earlier, we get six portraits of characters from that era. The portraits reminiscent of baseball cards. And some of these portraits are more successful than others. I can actually sometimes tell the promotional photograph the artist took the pose or outfit from as inspiration for the works they created. So again, some of these work really well, some of them not so much. And I have to wonder, what made them choose the images that they rendered? It was like they went about showing us images directly out of the books that we've never seen rendered before, or rarely have at that case. Like there's a great one of young Anakin Solo activating Centerpoint Station, for example. There's a painting of the Sissy Ruck in Techman process from the Truths of Bakura. And this book contains the best rendition of Bollocks and Blue Max I have ever seen. Some of this artwork has to be seen to be believed. And I know I've said this before for other essential guides, but it holds true here again. The artwork is worth the price of this book alone. The Essential Reader's Companion can be used by many different people, many different ways. As a refresher for longtime readers, or as a way to catch up for newer ones. 
It can tell you about a story you may have missed or serve as a reminder to go back and read something you have always meant to. You will learn new facts and you will see new facets with behind-the-scenes tidbits and you will get a chance to see characters you may never have seen before in the brilliant artwork throughout. And on top of all that, in the back of the book, there are appendixes that give you extensive publication history and breaks down works by author. So if you have a favorite author, you can find all the Star Wars works by him or her easily. Star Wars The Essential Reader's Companion truly lives up to the name. This book is essential if you're at all interested in any level in the Star Wars EU. And priced at $30, the information in here is a steal at that price. I am probably going to be buying this book as a gift for more than a few people this holiday season. I cannot recommend this book enough. Go out and get this one. You will not regret it. A fantastic purchase. And I have to say bravo to Del Rey and Mr. Hidalgo for putting this thing together. The one complaint I have is I wish it was hardcover because my spine is already creased. I can see this thing falling apart from all the flipping through this book that I'm sure to be doing in the next few years. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. I agree completely with your thoughts on that book. Just a wonderful, wonderful thing. I hate to say if you can find it, but if you can find it, you should definitely get The Essential Reader's Companion. Truly essential reading. Now, if you want to hear more of Brock's book reviews, head to booksandnachos.com at booksandnachos.com. And you can hear Brock reviewing the James Bond short stories by Ian Fleming while Stuart reviews the James Bond novels by Ian Fleming. As part of Now Playing's James Bond retrospective series, we've got Skyfall coming out, the Adele theme song was just released, and we're doing all the James Bond films celebrating James Bond's 50th anniversary over at NowPlayingPodcast.com, and you can hear Brock Stewart and I review all of those films. And speaking of Star Wars books... I did buy two things at the Star Wars Reads Day at Barnes & Noble. First, when we went in, this Barnes & Noble was much nicer than the Barnes & Noble we have at home. Yeah, they actually had a lot more books, a bigger space, nicely laid out. I guess I don't know Barnes & Noble's like I know Walmart's, Target's, and Toys R Us's because we don't stop at them in every city. But it was a really nice Barnes & Noble. They had a lot of calendars out already that ours didn't even have. Yeah, I would say this Barnes & Noble felt like an old Borders more than the average Barnes & Noble I go to. It could have been an old Borders for all we know. But they had a ton of calendars. We stopped at a calendar kiosk at a mall previously, but I didn't see this calendar that they had there and I instantly grabbed it up. I talked earlier about the Star Wars Marvel comics. The new thing I've noticed, especially with Comics and Star Wars is doing this, they did one last year, are calendars that when the calendar month is done, it has a perforated tear-out sheet so you can then have a frameable print of the art from the calendar. And they did that this year with classic covers from the Star Wars Marvel comics like Marjorie got me. And I thought they were really great. They removed the Marvel part seamlessly on most of them. Two of them still said Marvel Special Edition, but they're great art, and it's really neat. I think you're going to have a lot of fun putting these up somewhere when you're done with them. Yeah, I was so tempted to get two, but calendars usually go on sale 50% off. And realistically, I have to realize that I have the comics, I'll have the calendar. I only have so much wall space. Am I going to frame these? Am I going to take a calendar page and put it in a frame? Or am I just going to enjoy this calendar this year and enjoy the retro look of the covers? But it was phenomenal. It is my favorite calendar in a decade. Yeah, I think it's one of the nicer ones. And I also, believe it or not, at Barnes & Noble bought a book. A book? Like a real book with pages? Real book with pages. I knew this was coming out. We'd mentioned it on the Facebook page. But it wasn't until I saw it in person that I knew I had to have it. Darth Prime Jason pointed it out to me. Barnes & Noble has a special edition, it's exclusive to them, of the Star Wars trilogy. The original novelizations of Star Wars by Alan Dean Foster, even though it says by George Lucas. Empire Strikes Back by Don Glute, and Return of the Jedi by James Caan. And these are leather-bound on a wonderful embossed cover, 
and it's like an old school book. The one I equate it to is as a young child, I had the complete works of William Shakespeare. Perhaps that sounds weird to some people, but I had them in this nice leather bound edition that had the little strap attached to the back so I could bookmark the pages and it had the gold coloring on the sides. Well, this is like that. It has silver coloring on the sides for the pages and this wonderful embossed Darth Vader on it. And it was $25. And even though I have so many copies of these books and I'm like, I don't need another one. As soon as I saw it, I had to have it as a collectible, if not as an actual book. Yeah, it looks really nice. It is very nice looking. It's very well bound. It looks good. You've probably got these in another form anyway. It's something that's going to look great on your shelf and for you to refer to. And if Mrs. Darth Prime is listening, Jason wanted to buy this for himself as well as the calendar and pretty much asked us to take pictures of it with him and a big sign saying, Jason wants this for Christmas. So there's some shopping for Jason as well. That is our show for this week. Don't forget, we have a great contest going on thanks to Baron and Carmilla where you can win an entire set of Series 2 Disney Vinylmations. Yeah, those are really, really coveted because you have the Disney people and the Star Wars people and your Vinylmation collectors. So these are going to be a hot item. Yeah, so all you have to do is write a haiku about Star Wars or Disney or Disney Star Wars. Find out all the details in last week's show, and there will be a link to the forum thread where you write that haiku on our homepage, SWActionNews.com. And also, Yoda's News is teaming up with Sideshow Collectibles and giving away a premium format Han Solo in Carbonite. So check out Yoda'sNews.com for details on that. That's our show for this week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News book club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. You're not speeding, are you? No, why? A cop just pulled out behind you. I'm going 66. Okay.